from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, here we are again. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Yeah, we're happy to be with you, and I am excited to hear something from Christopher. I know you had something to share that you were excited about. Yeah. People who know me know how much movies and music have inspired me over the years. All my students know Absolutely. this. Absolutely. And when I was a kid, <clears throat> I think my, my first favorite movie was The Wizard of Oz. You had to wait you know, once a year for it to come on TV. Yeah. Then, then it was the Star Wars thing. And then it was Rocky. Yeah. Rocky Balboa captured my heart. Aww. And the music, the soundtrack especially, yeah. got in my bones. Not just the ba 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 da da ba da da ba da 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 That's awesome too. But then there's this this theme in the boxing this stuff got in my bones. I'll never forget, we had this new stereo we were getting in our house, and it took longer than expected, and I was waiting a long time because my parents had bought me the Rocky II oh, album. Oh, yeah, the soundtrack. The soundtrack, and this was 1979, and we didn't have a record player for a long time. The old oh. one broke, and we're waiting to get the new one. And finally, finally, we get the new record player, and I could—I had been studying the album cover, <laughs> and I knew every picture and line of it, and I knew how it smelled, and I knew kind of the static cling when you pulled the record out of its sleeve. I could hear—I I just feel the whole thing all over again. I, the, and the colors were yellow and black, or goldish and black, because those were his the colors of his trunks in Rocky too. Mm-hmm. And when we put this Rocky II record on the record player after weeks and weeks of waiting for it, it just sparked something in me. Yeah. Made me want to run around the block, made me want to punch the punching bag, made me want to do one-arm push-ups. And um, so anyway, the point is this music has been in my bones since I was a little kid. And I recently discovered this video on a special edition Rocky DVD special features where they're interviewing Bill Conti, who did the soundtrack. And he says, to my utter astonishment, my jaw absolutely dropped when he said this. He's commenting on the theme during the fighting. And he says, what I was thinking about, what inspired me as I, as I wrote that melody, I was inspired by the sacrifice of the mass. And my jaw just dropped. I was like, what? What? You were in, what? What? He says, what I'm hearing, he says, he says, it doesn't matter if, if that means anything to you about the mass, but that's what I, that's what inspired me. He says, to me, what was going on in that ring, you know, cut me Mick and all this blood and punching him back and forth. He says, what was going on to me felt like a death and a resurrection for mm. Rocky Balboa. So that's what was the inspiration wow. for that melody. And I thought, oh my, and, and then he says, so you don't, you don't need to know that that was what was going on in my mind and heart, but if that music reached you, if that music blessed you, well, that's what its goal was. Now you know, it came from my being inspired by the sacrifice of the mass. I, I, yeah. I, I could almost, I could almost cry just thinking of how yeah. deep and meaningful that is 
to my heart that even as a 10-year-old kid, this musician who was inspired by the mass to write that melody, that melody got in my bones. Thank you, God, Mm -hmm. for Bill Conti. He's the musician. Mm -hmm. Thank you, God, for inspiring him with the mass to write that melody that has blessed me Mm -hmm. for 40 years. That Mm melody has been part of my life for Mm -hmm. 40 years. Yeah, the themes of courage against such yeah. painful odds. Yes, that's what Rocky was to me. It really, and that that it really is. He's he's a Christ figure to me in that sense. To face to face that brutality and and walk right into it and endure it and come out the other side. That's mm-hmm. that's a Christ story. Yeah, yeah. Stallone himself actually talks about that. And how really? In fact, Rocky won. Uh-huh. Opens the first thing you see. Stallone has commented on this many times. The very he wanted the very first image you see in Rocky One to be an icon of Christ, and it is. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and of course Rocky in the in the movies is Catholic. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna have some podcast listeners uh, checking out the Rocky movies. I think personally. I'm not into boxing. It's a little troubling to me, but I love all the things that the beauty that you find in those movies. And it's awesome how much all this music and movie awareness has kind of created, I just feel like kind of special uh, spidey sense, if you can say Mm -hmm. that way, in you for picking up on deeper themes that are sort of hidden but there and that's yeah. this is such an example of that yeah I, I love doing that for my students I, I would say even one of the highlights of my my experience as a teacher when I know the spirit is moving in my students is when not that he doesn't move in other ways of course he does but just to me I, I relate to it so deeply and I'm so moved when a student comes to me and says Christopher I'm hearing music in a whole different way right. or I've, I've I'm watching this movie in a whole different way way because of what you gave me I you helped give me eyes to see something or hear mm-hmm. something you don't hear with your eyes but you know you <laughs> gave me ears to hear <laughs> things I hadn't heard before and I love that so I just throw this out we have a free ebook called theology of the body at the movies where I I have I don't know 25 26 movie reviews in this ebook mm. to just crack open these themes and oh, movies that's great and yeah. Rocky makes an appearance in there so we'll have that in the show notes yeah that's a great one. Well, let me bring some questions from okay. our listeners Let's to do you. It. Okay. So, a listener named Joseph says, Before I knew anything about the theology of the body, my wife and I committed the sin of sterilization. We've since come to understand what a mistake that was. Can I be a proper teacher of the theology of the body when I've committed such a sin? Bless you, my dear brother Joseph. The Lord chooses whomever he wills to be his messengers and every single one other than the blessed mother every single one is a sinner Uh, if sin disqualified us from preaching the gospel guess what no one could preach the gospel now there's a difference between committing sin and kind of doggedly clinging to the sins we've committed And one who acknowledges the sin committed, confesses the sin committed, makes reparation for sin committed. Just think of, think of Peter, right? He's the rock 
right? On which Jesus starts his church, founds his church. And yet he committed that terrible betrayal of the Lord. And I'm reminded of something Pope Benedict XVI says. He says, we have this altogether idealized image of the saints. For example, we think of Peter as as the the denier before Pentecost. Mm -hmm. And then we think of him as the rock after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. And he says, the truth is, he was both rock and denier before and after Mm. Pentecost. This is so, so important. This dichotomy we set up in our minds where we have saints in one column and sinners in the other column is just wrong. Mm -hmm. It's wrong because a saint is, as my spiritual director has helped me to learn, and he's, he's a plain talker, I'll spell it so as not to cause the offense if it offends anybody. I'm not trying to offend, but he's a plain talker and I needed to hear him say it. He said, Christopher, you think a saint is someone who has his S-H-I-T together. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. A saint is someone who has all his S-H-I-T open to the merciful love of the Father. So, Joseph, it sounds to me like you have your S-H-I-T open to the merciful love of the Father. There is nothing to prevent you. In fact, you can, you can become all the more an authentic witness to what the theology of the body is, which is a call to repentance and conversion to become the men and women we're made to be. That's what it is. You can become all the more an authentic teacher of this message by by leading with your weakness, leading with the fact that you yourself are a broken man in need of redemption. I have learned this myself over the years. I've made the terrible mistake of thinking because I, I am a teacher of this message, I have to have it all together. Because I'm a teacher of this message, I better get my act together. Um, I mean, we're all called to grow in perfection, but the idea, none of us, none of us but Mary, none of us is the immaculate conception, which means there's brokenness in our lives, there's junk in our lives, there's stuff we have to continually be purified of, and I have made my fair share of mistakes and just my brokenness has been on display. It's been on display, obviously, to you, Wendy, in nearly 25 years of married life. It's been on display to my staff. It's been on display to my students, stuff that grieves me, pains me because I'm a broken human being. But the goal is have a good confessor, have a good spiritual director, have people close to you who can love you enough to say, that's your junk coming out. That's your sinfulness coming out. That's your broken humanity coming out. We all need that in our lives. People who love us enough to call us out when our brokenness is on display. Keep all that in the light. Go to confession regularly. Open up the S-H-I-T to the merciful love of the Father. And that itself becomes the channel through which God's graces flow through you, Joseph, to reach others. Some of the ways I can picture that, and you know, your story is your story, Joseph, and each of you listening is, you have your own story. But just as an example, if you were to touch on in in your teaching, if you were to talk about the effects of your own experience of contraception, sterilization being a contraceptive act, on your marriage could be a huge benefit. And I know that you know, the 
you can almost anticipate the evil one's attack, you know, which might come through the question of a listener saying, well, how can you tell us to use natural family planning when you yourself don't even have to deal with any of that? You know, and that that would be the attack that would want to discredit you, that would want to get so-and-so off the hook for even listening to what you have to say. But truly, if you have experienced the healing and the the gift of mercy in your own marriage, you can honestly say that you would long to go back and to reverence the gift of fertility in your marriage and to receive from the Lord the opportunities to abstain out of love for your spouse. That if it's sincere, that will speak to your audience and it's honest. Yes. You know, and I think any of us, you know, can be held back by fear of someone's criticism, someone discrediting us. And yet, if we can bring that to the Lord and let Him speak to our hearts about what the genuine gift we have to give in terms of revealing how grace has been at work in our lives, that is the story of grace at work in your life. It speaks volumes to those who aren't experiencing it it yet, and they long for it. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So, um, here's a question from Allison, who says, I'm pregnant with my first baby and reading up on childbirth. What have you learned about theology of the body and the experience of pregnancy and birth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've been through it mm-hmm. five times. Count them. Yes. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Praise God for each of our yeah. five beautiful gifts Yes. from the Lord. I learned a lot from you, Wendy, about your reverence for the child in your womb. Mm-hmm. I had a certainly an awe, a wonder. I, m- I remember learning the first time you were pregnant, we were mm-hmm. sitting in Mass, mm-hmm. and you had told me, I think, before Mass that you were pretty sure that, mm. or that you were however many days late in your cycle, and right. we were getting those could it be, could it be, could it be feelings? Mm-hmm. And I remember that it hit me at Mass. Mm-hmm. And we were in the church where we got married. Right. I was like, oh my word. There is a new life that never existed mm-hmm. that now exists because of my love for you and your love for me, Wendy, and God's love for us in the midst of it. And it was an absolutely astounding moment of awe and wonder at the mystery of what has what what a new life is and that has always stayed with me it's carried me in times of of um whatever concerns you also have about bringing life into the world and your mm-hmm. own inadequacies as a a parent or provider or whatever else I've been through just in my own struggles but uh, maybe you could share Wendy uh, you you're also a nurse. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe uh, a lot of people may not know that. Right. And you always had a love for pregnant women, yes. and you cared for pregnant women as a nurse, right. and prenatal care and newborn yeah. care. And mm-hmm. what did you read that shaped you about mm. your pregnancy? Because you had a very specific vision when we got married. Mm-hmm. You were you had convictions about what you <laughs> wanted to experience as a That's pregnant true. woman and giving birth and yeah. Not, uh, I just, it wasn't. It wasn't contrary to any of your desires. No, but it no, was no, just that I was passionate about you it. You were from, passionate about it, and you beforehand. informed me. And what we have experienced, I would. I wish everyone mm-hmm. could experience mm-hmm. in terms of the beauty of 
right. of the whole process of, of birthing and, right. you know, the courses we took together and the yeah. ways we prepared for each of our children. Maybe, yeah. maybe our listeners would be yeah, interested sure. in Yeah, sure. I'm happy stuff. to share some of that. I think that one of the, the tragedies, and there are many tragedies historically and currently that happen around women and babies and childbirth. And so, you know, we can't, can't learn about the topic without learning that. And there was a real, you know, in my teen years, actually, I wrote a research paper on some of the um, tragedies around childbearing. Historically, care that was not actually the best care that was in ignorance given and caused harm. But one of the things that just stays with me is that I so and you so wanted to be fully present to this process of, especially in birth, of, um, you know, welcoming our child. And it was always important to me that I be right there in the moment with you. Yeah. And I always said to our midwives, we had midwives do our Mm -hmm. deliveries, that I wanted to be the first to touch Mm -hmm. our child. And I wanted to be the one who who announced if we were having a boy or a girl, you and I just made the decision. It was just our preference not mm-hmm. to uh, know the sex of our child before the moment of birth. And those are all very, very meaningful things to us. And I guess when I look back at, um, you know, like maybe our grandmothers, their experience where they were given a medication or a, several medications, I'm not sure, uh, called twilight sleep at the time of pushing the baby out that caused them to have amnesia where they mm. did not remember the time of, of actually birthing their baby. And they kind of woke up with this, you know, bundle of a baby and didn't know quite how it had right. all gotten there because they were, you know, medically induced amnesia about it. That's like terrible That's to me. That's sad to me. The so sad to me. Missing on the full human presence to a, a peak moment of our lives yeah and and I, then there's the whole phase in the medical community where fathers were not even allowed in right. the delivery room yes. that tears my heart out i know yes yeah, so i was part of this you are not keeping me from being part of this now mm. i was part of it at the start i'm being part of it right here right now don't oh, you dare yes. don't you dare take that away from me yeah well it is yeah it is a precious gift and i guess for me in looking at um birth I know myself that I wanted to reduce things that might cause me to be anxious and somehow not fully present. And so for me, you know, a lot of actually the hospital things can cause me anxiety. And it's relieving of that and enables me to be more fully present to reduce those sort of hospital routine requirements. And so we had two babies born in the hospital, but our hospital birth experience was different because we didn't have continuous monitoring. I didn't have an IV. We were able to move around. Things that I think, you know, were important to me. And you were, you know, right there with me, although if it hadn't been that way, I don't think you would have, you would have wanted to be with me in that whatever yes. was helpful to me. I know that there are people for whom not having those things would cause anxiety. Right. And so I'm not promoting one thing or another. I'm just saying that for me, I wanted to reduce all the things that could 
anxiety is such a distraction, and I want it to be present. Yes. So that 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 feeling of being profoundly present that when you are meeting that baby, you know, when you've you've interacted with your baby during your pregnancy, but at that time of birth, that surge of joy that parents have in looking into the eyes of their baby, mm. you know, is just so mm. powerful. And I'm having flashes of, just, of the five unique experiences. Yes, but to be fully, as fully present as our circumstances allow, allow right. I think is is very meaningful. It kind of, it reminds me of NTOB mm. when Eve is presented to Adam. I mean, it's not just NTOB, it's in, you know, the scripture, right, right. but Pope John Paul II reflects on the powerful experience of wonder and acceptance of the gift of the other. And we're experiencing that as parents when we see and hold our baby. Yes. We welcome them from the time they're conceived and we know of their existence, of course. But that moment of meeting and welcoming and caring is so packed by the Holy Spirit. And I think, so I guess... That's my my most important word about all of this is to be in touch with yourselves as a couple and what would enable you to be most fully present to receiving this gift, this new gift of life and love into your hearts, the, the expansion of your world that is going to happen at that time. I like your uh, just respect for the individual couples and how your goal and what you're sharing is to, when you said earlier, this was what relieved you of certain stresses and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Whereas for another couple, that could have caused stresses and anxiety not to have an IV or or what have you. So the goal is to to get yourself in as peaceful a place as possible and to to welcome that gift. And that reminded me of something I read in a a Vatican document in the mid-90s. This was before we had any kids of our own that... Education in God's plan for making us male and female begins at the moment of conception when the child is welcomed lovingly as Mm -hmm. a gift from God by the child's parents. That line made a big impression on me to make conscious efforts to welcome the child in your womb. Mm -hmm. Long before the child was born, we have... We have nine months of, of expressing the welcome of our hearts to this child. I remember speaking into your womb, yep. speaking to those children. They say, I love you, little one in there. Can't wait to see you. You're mm-hmm. so welcome in our lives. We're right. so happy you exist. And just expressing that to each of the children in the womb was, you know, what do they hear? They hear, wah, 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 wah right, if they hear anything. <laughs> But that's not the point. There's, there's also a spiritual connection going on, right? Mm-hmm. If, if there is a loving acceptance of that child in the mother and father's heart, that has spiritual ripple effects that the child can pick up on. I'm utterly convinced of that. Mm-hmm. Conversely, if there's rejection of that child in the womb, that can have a, a negative mm-hmm. impact as well on, on that little developing child. And I, I, this all reminds me of one more thing. Dr. William May, who was one of my professors at the John Paul II Institute in the 90s, he used to say, 
it's often said in the culture that no unwanted child should be born. Mm. And his response to that was, well, the truth of the matter is no child should be unwanted. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows, maybe listeners out there have painful circumstances around their conception and birth. That does not mean you were unwanted. Maybe there were broken people here in this earthly existence who didn't know how to show you welcome or whatever those painful circumstances might be. But the very fact that you exist demonstrates you are wanted by God, your Father. You are wanted. Mm -hmm. Your existence is proof that love wanted you to exist. Anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I was just reminded of of those two things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're powerful. Theology of the body has direct bearing, obviously, on all these questions about pregnancy and childbirth. And I I think the the underlying theme that you brought out very well, Wendy, is receiving the child as a gift. Mm -hmm. John Paul II says that woman's yes or no to life in the womb, and we can extend this also to the, the father and his yes or no to life in that womb, brings us into the the very heart and center of a battle between good and evil. It's very interesting. The, the, symbolisms, the symbolism in the book of Revelation about the battle between good and evil is centered around the dragon and the pregnant woman. Uh, the dragon wants to devour that child. So when we say yes to life, we are saying no to all those forces that are contrary to life. And the yes or no of the human being to God, John Paul II says, is played out in the yes or no to life in the womb. It's a powerful insight. Give that mm-hmm. some thought and reflection that this is where our fertility, our sexuality, our very being as male and female and the power to bring life into the world, it puts us in I'll just quote John Paul II. This is from his letter to families. He says, the family, this power to generate new life, to bring the family into being, brings us to the very heart and center of the battle between life and death, between good and evil, between love and all that is opposed to love. Let us give our yes. Let us give our yes. Because when we give our yes, the head of that dragon is crushed. Mm. Amen to that. Amen to that. I have a question from James for you. Hey, James. James says, I've been struggling in my relationship with my girlfriend for quite some time now. We've been dating for about four years. I'm a devout Catholic, but my girlfriend isn't. She's not at all against what I believe in and practice, but there's definitely something more I want from this relationship, growing together in Christ as a couple. Although she knows I dearly want that from our relationship, she still seems pretty reluctant, and I'm not sure if it will happen. I'm praying for God's grace and a miracle. What is your advice on this? Bless you, James. I hear your heart, James. I hear your love for this woman. I hear your love for the Lord and for the church. I hear your desire to want to share that love with the woman you love. And man, can I ever relate to that? Praying for a miracle here. Press into that. Keep going with that. Before I say anything else, I I just want to acknowledge, I know many marriages where a husband and wife have had deep and maybe even sharp differences about faith, about their beliefs about 
God, about the church. And I've seen, yes, that, that can and does create a rift, a painful reality that can't be easily just tucked away in a corner because these issues are so fundamental. Nonetheless, I've seen beautiful love there. I'm just thinking right now of my father's parents. My grandmother was a devoted Catholic. My grandfather would not hesitate to say, I despise the church. And I later would come to understand in my life why he despised the church. When they got married, he was not Catholic. She was Catholic. This was in the, gosh, this would have been in the the 1930s, I think, when they got married. And he wanted to become a Catholic because he wanted to honor his wife and he was exploring. He had questions about faith, but he wanted to explore. He said to his fiance, I'm willing to explore. I'm willing to look into this. Uh, I'll go meet with a priest and begin the conversation. Mm. And the priest right out of the bat said, All, anyone who's not a Catholic is going to hell. Well, oh my word. No wonder there's a wound in my grandfather, was a wound in my grandfather his, the rest of his life towards the church when he was treated that way. I'm, I'm bringing them up because they're an example of a couple who had a deep, profound love for one another, deep devotion to one another. They were married for 67 years, but there was that lack of communion when it came to questions of the faith. I wanted to lay that foundation before I say anything else because the Lord can, can work in all those circumstances. But back to James' dilemma. James, I, I personally could not have imagined marrying someone who didn't share mm-hmm. my faith. Wendy, thank you. Thank you for being you. I, I, it's so fundamental to what our marriage is. Mm-hmm. It's so integral to who we are as husband and wife. I can't imagine it otherwise. That's, that's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, James, you will have to reckon with, with what you think the Lord is calling you to. Uh, maybe you are called to marry this woman, but if you were to, it couldn't be with some kind of hidden demand or hidden agenda that she eventually become Catholic. You would just have to accept maybe she would never become Catholic. Maybe she would never share your faith. Could the Lord be calling you to marry that person? Yeah. Yeah, he could be. But if you're asking my personal take on it, I personally, in my life, could not have imagined marrying someone who, who didn't share my, my faith. Mm. It is a hard situation. It is a hard one. It really is, James. There's um, such a, a bond that's formed over the years of the relationship and caring for one another in all kinds of ways. And I, I just... You know, I wonder what what does it mean that this is really on your heart right now? It may be that your relationship is coming to a point of decision. Um, you know, in whatever your circumstances in life are, are we going to be married? Is you know that kind of question? It may be just that you're growing in your faith and realizing that this is so essential to your future. And um, I want to affirm all the movements of grace going on in you and you're even bringing up this question that there's a sign of the Holy Spirit's wind blowing um, in your life and um, just to rejoice in that and thank the Lord for that, for that experience of your 
deep desire to always be growing closer to the Lord. And I, I know that it can be something that just simply accepted, you know, by a spouse who doesn't share it. How much more awesome if it's shared just to rejoice in all that is truly most important to one another. Um, really placing that relationship and this woman before the Lord in trust and, and asking him how you can best love her. Yeah, obviously, praying for grace, praying for miracles is a beautiful way to love her. And the question of whether the, the relationship could, should continue when it's like this is a difficult God question is tough, to ask. Tough, very tough. Um, but, you know, the Lord isn't afraid of the question. So I, I just encourage you to bring it in prayer. How about we pray Lord. for them right now? Yes, let's do that. Dear Jesus, you know James, you know his girlfriend, you know them in and out, through and through. We ask if it is your will that they be together, that you would make that clear to them. Lord, you know whatever obstacles are in his girlfriend's heart to faith, you know full well. We don't have to guess or wonder. You know full well what Mm -hmm. they are. And we know you far more than James, far more than Wendy, far more than I. You desire her to come to know you. Mm -hmm. That you love her, that you brought her into being that you have a plan for her life to give her hope and a future, that your love is not something threatening, that relationship with you, that faith in you robs nothing of our humanity, but grants our humanity in its fullness. Whatever untruths she has believed about faith in you, or maybe there have been Christians who have been poor witnesses in her life. Mm. We ask you, Lord, to work the miracle of faith in her heart. Mm -hmm. Plant those seeds of faith, small as a mustard seed, but the faith that grows into the tallest of trees and welcomes the birds of the air. Mm. I see, as I say that, an image of uh, this, the dove, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, welcoming. Uh, an image maybe of her heart welcoming the presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Let it be, Lord, as you desire it. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that question, James. I'm reminded, thinking of sharing faith and those who don't share faith, one of the sadnesses is not sharing the Eucharist, Mm -hmm. which you and I have come to maybe even take for granted that we Mm. share the Eucharist. And John Paul II says the Eucharist is the the source of married love. Mm -hmm. To go week after week to Mass with you, my love, and Mm -hmm. walk up to communion with you, uh, to receive that source of our married love is a tremendous, tremendous gift. And it just opens for me a whole field, if you will, a whole field of wonder at the source and summit of our faith being eating. 
<laughs> we are hungry creatures. We are creatures who yearn to be fed. And this is our God. He wants to feed us. He invites us to a feast. And I want to invite our listeners to a feast. Mm-hmm. This summer, my dear friend and colleague, Bill Dunahy, and Father Leo, the cooking priest, mm-hmm. I think a lot of our listeners out there will be familiar with Father Leo, the cooking priest. They, the two of them, are leading a pilgrimage to Italy called Feasting on Faith, Food, and Beauty. The pilgrimage is from August 9th to the 20th, 2020. You can go to tobpilgrimages.com to learn more. Of course, we'll have that in the show notes. You will not regret going with Bill Dunahy and Father Leo on this Feasting on Faith, Food, and Beauty pilgrimage. It will open your eyes. It will open your ears. It will open your taste buds. It'll open your sense of smell to all the fragrances, tastes, and glories of being Catholic. We do not reject the senses. We do not reject the sensual. This is where Christ meets us. Come, all who are hungry, and eat. Come, all who are thirsty, and drink. Come to the feast. This is our faith. So check it out. And if uh, that excites you, uh, I think you should sign up. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) It's going to be a great year. I wish I could go on that pilgrimage, but my life doesn't allow me. But Bill's a great host. He's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. Guys, we are at the end of our time for this episode. Thank you so much for your questions. We need more of them. Please do keep those questions coming. We love doing this. Your questions make it possible. So go to the show notes there and click on where you can submit your questions for Wendy and for me. We look forward to seeing you next time. Actually, we don't see you, do we? (laughs) Being together in the podcast world. Being together in the podcast format. All right. (laughs) Uh, You guys are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes.